I realized um, late last week or, or early this week that I have six more Wednesdays. So I needed a series of six. And um, it occurred to me that I remember reading in Knowing God 50 years ago, um, Jim Packer's well-known book, Knowing God, um, that he, he had this quotation, which I've, uh, I've had placed on the back of your bulletin, calling this the Christian's secret of a Christian life and of a God-honoring life. He says that we should take the following truths and say it over and over to yourself, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, as you wait for the bus, anytime your mind is free, and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it all, knows it is all utterly and completely true. And what are these six truths? Number one, I'm a child of God. Two, God is my father. Three, heaven is my home. Four, every day is one day nearer. Five, my savior is my brother. And six, every Christian is my brother too. So those are the six things we're going to explore uh, over the next six weeks. And today uh, we begin with, I am a child of God. And my text is from Galatians 3, beginning at verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, excuse me. If you were to find uh, <clears throat> the lost uh, correspondence that Paul had with the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about a letter that he wrote that he wished he hadn't written, and he'd said some very strong things, uh, uh, but we don't have that letter. And uh, w wouldn't you want to read it? I mean, what did Paul say that he regrets um, saying? But if it were to be found, if... Uh, some, some camel herders uh, in Israel were to go into a cave and discover earthenware jars and inside was, was a letter. It's hardly likely to be in Israel. It's more likely to be in Corinth. But, um, but you get my drift. 
How would you know that it was from Paul? How would you know that it was genuine? Well, one of the things that you'd look for is Paul's telltale signature that he uses 160 times in the New Testament in Christ. We call ourselves Christians, but that's not what Paul called himself. Nor would Paul have addressed you as Christians. He would have addressed you as a man or a woman in Christ. That is my identity. And you'll see it here in verse 25. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Receiving the Spirit brings us into union and communion with Christ. To become a Christian, verse 27, is to put on Christ. It's like putting him on like you put on a garment, a piece of clothing, and that clothing identifies you and sets you apart. More especially in verse 26, he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Sons of God. I'm the child of God. I'm a son of God. Elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, Authors, different authors will use the expression children of God rather than sons of God. You remember in John uh, 1 and verse 12 in the prologue of John's gospel, for, for to as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. Children of God. Or... Um, in the 8th chapter of uh, Romans, the Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Well, let's walk through this passage. You, you have a bulletin before you. Let's walk through this, this passage. In the previous section, in verse 23, Paul has said that before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about what it was like to, to live in the Old Testament before the faith, the faith of the New Testament came. And he uses very strong language. He talks about living in the Old Testament was like being in prison. It's very strong language. He's using a relative contrast, but he's, he's using it in absolute terms. He does the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and he, and he uses similar imagery in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And he goes on to say, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. And then in verse 25, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Well, think about what it was like to live under the Old Testament. All those laws. All those ceremonial laws. Laws about eating, 
laws about cleansing, all those sacrifices that you had to offer in a certain precise way on certain um, days of the year. There were, there were laws, laws coming out of their ears. It's like being a child with, with a guardian. You, you remember when you were raising children. You can barely remember, but you remember when you were raising children. All those, all those laws that you imposed. I remember the very first time uh, I left my two children. Um, they were in there. They were probably around 11 and 9, something like that. And my wife was at a Bible study somewhere and I got a call, an emergency call to go to the hospital to visit someone who had taken um, seriously ill. And so this was the first time we'd left our children home alone. It was probably 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night. And um, it was winter time, it was dark outside. And so I, 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 I said, now make sure you do this and make sure you do this and make sure you do this and make sure you don't do that and don't do that and don't do that. And there were, there were like 15 or 20 things that came out uh, without, without pause. Uh, but I was in a hurry, I needed, I needed to get to the hospital and, and I said, but whatever you do, do not open the door. Right? Even if you disobey all the other laws, I want you to keep this one. Do not open the door to anyone except me or your mother. Well, and then you went off to college. And you had freedoms. I'm not suggesting libertarian freedoms, but you had freedoms to make decisions for yourself. You weren't under a guardian anymore. You had to fend for yourself. It was the first time that I'd ever used a washing machine. My, my mother had spent the summer before I left for college knitting an iron sweater. Some of you will know what an iron sweater is. It's a Scottish um, thing and it's, it's very complicated and she took probably a couple of months uh, to knit it and um, the first week I was at college I spilled something on it so I threw it in the washing machine and it came out half the size. <laughs> And I never wore it again. So living under the Old Testament was, is a bit like being in prison. It's like children. Think of teenagers. Think of 13-year-old teenagers. And how do they describe living at home? It's like being in a prison. I guarantee if you, if you did a poll of the 13, 14-year-olds here in the congregation, many of them would say it's like being in prison. Too many laws, too many do's and don'ts, not enough freedom. Well, that's the image Paul is using here about living under the Old Testament with all those laws. And those laws were designed to be a schoolmaster, that's another term that Paul uses, a schoolmaster to, to bring us to Christ, to show us how sinful we are. Because the more laws, the more, the more sins. Because we break them all. Now, Paul says in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. 
to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. One of the chief doctrines of the New Testament is the doctrine of adoption. Now, I'm not saying that you can't find it in the Old Testament. You'd need a magnifying glass to find it in the Old Testament. It's, it's there, but it's not prominent. Jim Packer says in Knowing God that the overwhelming uh, doctrine of the New Testament is, is the fatherhood of God, that God is our, our father. And we will look at that next week. But the corollary, 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 whatever, of, of the fatherhood of God is that we are his children. We've been adopted into his household and family. You remember that Jesus once said, you are of your father the devil. By nature, we are not children of God. Now, there is a... There is a sense, to be sure, in which the Bible speaks of God as the father of all mankind. Uh, Paul, for example, in Acts 17, when he's uh, speaking to the um, Athenians, um, uh, says to them, uh, we are all his offspring, in the sense that we have been created by him. But in the more specific sense that Paul is using here in Galatians 3, we are not children of God by nature. We're actually children of the devil, according to Jesus. Sinclair Ferguson, I'm told, in a, in a class at Westminster in uh, Philadelphia, speaking to seminary students, picked up his Bible and held in his fingers the three or four pages that constitute the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, there is more in these pages, these three or four pages about the fatherhood of God than in all of the Old Testament put together. It was a very graphic um, image, I think. Do you remember there was a time when folk were bringing their children to Jesus? We're talking hundreds of them. And the disciples thought this was not a place for children. This was for grown-ups. They were shooing the mothers away. You, you don't belong here. Take your children away. They're too, they're too noisy. They're disturbing the peace. Go, shoo. And, and Jesus intervened and he said, suffer the little children to come unto me for of such is the kingdom of God. That the kingdom is made up of little children. That belonging to the kingdom of God is like the situation of children belonging in a family. And it's an image, it's an image of who we are as Christians as those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and have been justified by faith alone in Christ alone. What this means is that we need to be born again. 
We come into this world with one nature, but we need a new nature. We need a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. You remember Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was the most famous Bible teacher and professor of the early first century. He was well known as a Bible teacher. His knowledge was prodigious. He would be greeted in synagogues all over Israel as the teacher. Par excellence. And Jesus says to him, unless a man Unless a man is born again, he cannot see and he cannot understand the kingdom of God. And what did Nicodemus say? I don't understand. He, his, his, his response revealed the fact that he wasn't born again because he didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. He said, can a man be placed back in his mother's womb? Is that what you're saying? No. But unless you are born again, and, and the Greek verb possibly can be translated, not born again, meaning a second time, but born from above, emphasizing the sovereignty of that birth. Emphasizing the fact that it's something that you can't do of yourself, by your own powers, by the exercise of your own will. This is something that God must do. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we've been driven out of Eden, of paradise. And seraphim with flaming swords are guarding the way back. So that there's no way back to paradise. Unless God quickens us. Makes us his children causes us to be born again into a new family. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. That's very strong, isn't it? That's one of those texts that's often employed uh, to um, underline uh, total depravity and the bondage of the will. That, that we cannot will ourselves into the kingdom of God because our will is bound to our fallen nature and we won't choose the good. We'll always choose that which self-gratifies so we must be born from above. We must, we must call upon God. We must call upon the Holy Spirit to give us a new heart, to take away the heart of flesh and to give us a new heart, a heart that believes, a heart that trusts. Now this idea of being born again, it's a 20th century um, fashionable term 
uh, and it, it meant back in the 60s and 70s in the time of Jimmy Carter and, and so on, who famously called himself a, a born-again uh, president, and it meant, it meant vaguely conservative and that they had experienced some kind of religious experience, but it, it probably meant no more than that. But the New Testament understands being born again in the sense of being born into a new family. God's family. I'm the child of a king. I'm the child of a king with Jesus, my Savior. I'm the child of a king. And as I said, those are not the most profound words uh, in all of hymnody, but, but it's a it's a gospel truth and it's a wonderful truth and it's a glorious truth today so Jeff, we need to be saying to ourselves in the morning what is the issues of identity and our world is terribly confused about identity because there are no norms and when there are no norms when there are no true truths Everything then becomes fluid. So gender becomes fluid. Famously have 68 genders in their banner. When you, when you go for a Google search, there are 68 genders. The, um, the rainbow, a, a sign of the Noahic covenant, but it has been stolen to show the fluidity from one color to the opposite and back again well Christians of all people know who they are at least they should know who they are I'm the child of a king that's who I am I'm the child of a king with Jesus my savior I'm the child of a king now I want you to look at verse 29 and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, the idea of being a child of God means that we are heirs, that we inherit. This is the reason why it doesn't make any sense in the New Testament to say sons of God and daughters of God because daughters didn't inherit in the Roman Empire in the Greco-Roman world daughters did not inherit in the Roman culture daughters were left out on the side of the road in the second century Christians were notorious for adopting these these girls that had been abandoned at, at birth because they were of no value they didn't inherit it was Christianity that raised the status of womanhood in the second century from what it was in the Greco-Roman world. And so the New Testament says sons of God because behind it lies the idea of inheritance, that we are going to be inheritors. According to the promise. And you say, what promise? Oh, you remember the promise. Back in Genesis chapter 12, 
when God called Abram before he was Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees and what did he say to him go to the land that I will show you it was the promise of land it was the promise of inheritance what did we just sing about cottages a tent or a cottage you know what a cottage is right that's a very English term for a a very small little dwelling a tent or a cottage why should I care they're building a palace for me over there do you have that assurance today in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also they're building a palace for me over there because I'm a child of the king and and I'm an heir according to the promise the promise that God made to Abraham and so in Galatians 3 Paul calls us children of Abraham we are children of Abraham well tell yourself that today whatever else is going on in your life if you're dwelling in a tent or a cottage he's building a palace for you over there I hath not seen nor ear heard neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him remind remind yourself of that today remind yourself of it tonight remind yourself of it tomorrow morning and when you ask yourself who am I and you're very important and you have you can trace your lineage all the way back to Scotland (laughs) even even if your name is Jones you can you can you can trace it all the way back to Scotland and you're very proud of it you've done all the research and you've got you've got that map of your ancestors on the wall at home is that right Rusty yes but you can trace your lineage spiritually all the way back to Abraham all the way back 4,000 years to the time of Abraham when God said to him I'm going to give you a land oh that's relevant for the accusation that Israel doesn't belong in Palestine God told Abraham 4,000 years ago it was his land but that's another story for another occasion but it's not the land of Israel that we're going to inherit it's, it's the new heavens and the new earth and it's going to be beautiful it's going to be majestic when we step into it we'll say the half was not told of how great this is and the child 
of a king. Well, next week, God is our Father. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are your children, that we belong in your family, that you've taken us out of darkness and bondage into liberty and light. We thank you that we are going to inherit. We're going to inherit the mansions of glory that you've promised. And we scarcely can take it in. So bless this word to us today. Grant us a little skip in our step today as we remind ourselves of who we are and what we are. And all of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.